Awesome. Our last, our last Wednesday of the year. <laughs> wrong, wrong. It's, it's, oh, right. Gosh, come on. Uh, January the 11th is when we'll come back. So if you guys want to make note of that is when we'll jump back in on uh, Wednesdays. And when we come back in January, we're going to study the I am statements that Jesus made. Right. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world, the resurrection of life. We're going to spend the seven weeks going through those seven I am statements when we get back in January as we build toward Easter in April. So, all right. So that'll be, that'll be that. And so we're excited about that. All right. So we're going to talk about, so how many of you believe what we just sang, that God is a good, good father? I want to hear it. Amen. Right. So I want to say hello to everybody online as well. So I appreciate you guys being a part of this. But how many of you have ever struggled? How many of you have ever struggled with believing that God is good and yet really having a problem with some of his decisions? Anybody? Yes or no? Everybody probably has, right? So that right there is what I want to talk about tonight. That gap, right? So we believe that God is a good, good father. Amen, church? Right? And yet some of the things that our good, good father does are hard to comprehend. Yes or no? Right? How many of you have read the story of Job or know of Job? Anybody struggle with the concept of Job? Yes or no? Right? How many of you would feel comfortable with a good, good father who decided to take your entire family away by allowing them to die? Taking your entire livelihood away, right? And then ultimately allowing your body to be covered with boils that won't kill you, but will make you miserable. And you know all of this happened because God and Satan had a conversation and God said, how about my servant fill in your name? How many of you would struggle with a good, good father and that kind of okayness with God for that to happen? How many would struggle with that? Be honest, right? So that right there is called a gap, right? It's a gap. It's a gap between what you believe to be true and then what you experience, right? How many of you, maybe not this Thanksgiving, but how many of you have gone through a holiday where you've had an expectation that it would go a certain way and something stupid happened or somebody got upset and somebody made themselves the focal and ruined the holiday? Anybody experience a ruined holiday? All right, if you have it, your kids aren't old enough yet, okay? As soon as your children get old enough and can start bringing other people into your space, right, then you'll experience what it's like to have a disappointing holiday, all right? But uh, listen, a lot of what happens in holidays is just that. You know, we have this expectation. It's going to be family. It's going to be great. We've done all this preparation. It's going to be good. Then somebody shows up and they're a complete jerk, right? And they make the entire event about themselves, right? Anybody experience this? Right? Some of you have done this. Some of you were this person, right? I was, I've been that person in my life, right? That's called a gap, right? A gap is a space. A gap is a space between what we expect and what we experience, right? So, for example, we start service at 6.30 on Wednesday night, which means when we start our online, this is for the online people, right? So, on Wednesday night... We don't have a stage manager in the back. And I don't know what you know about Elijah. Is he in here? 
See, this is right. This is why. Right. Elijah's not in here. Right. And me is that we're not very good at honoring time. Joe, on the other hand, is really good at it. Right. So when we start a service at 630, sometimes people online are seeing a blank screen because we're not ready. That's called a gap. So the people now that are watching online, expecting to tune in and see the service starting, sees a blank screen while we figure out how to get here on time, right? A gap between what I expect, I'll turn it on and it'll be there, and what I experience, it starts a minute or two later, right? Everybody understand the concept of a gap, yes or no, right? How many of those do you think you experience on a weekly basis? Gaps. 5, 10, 15, 20, how many? Bunches, right? We all have them. Listen, students have them with parents, right? Where a student asks, or a a, a teenager asks a parent something, and they have an expectation, and the parent doesn't agree with whatever's going on, and then there's a gap. I expected this, and I got this, now what what do I do with it, right? That's a gap. And the reality is every person in here, no matter what your age is, right? Everybody watching online, right? We all experience a multitude of gaps, right? We have a relationship, right? How many of you are in a relationship, married, dating, whatever, in a relationship? Raise your hand, right? Come on, students. I know several of you are. Don't be, don't be shy, right? Right? And here's the thing about a relationship. Anybody experience a gap of here's what I expected, and here's what I got. And now I've got to decide what to do with that area, that gap. Anybody experience that? Yes or no? Of course you have, right? And the reality is our success, right? Listen to me. The success that we have in the gap determines, right? Determines for many of us whether or not we can survive and ultimately thrive in spite of the gap. And what happens to so many people is it's the gap that ends up consuming marriages, consumes parent and teenage relationships. It consumes people and church. And ultimately it's the gap that consumes people and the relationship to God. My daughter, who's 19 and a sophomore at University of South Florida, is, she's a wonderful daughter. She's tremendous. I love her. She's independent. She's smart. She's funny. We have a great relationship. But she's at odds with God, struggling with comprehending him. And so she went to church Sunday. Lo and behold... Way my God, the way my God works and your God works is my daughter's dating a boy whose parents are Christian, right? And they happen to be going to the church in Tampa that I told my daughter two years ago, hey, man, I'd love for you to try out this church. They have a wonderful church. And my daughter's like, thank you, but no. And now she's going there, right? So she leaves church on Sunday. And the first thing she does is call me. I got a question for you, right? Not hi, not how are you doing? Just, I got a question for you. I said, okay. She said, do you know John the Baptist? I've heard of him, you know. So she went on to tell me about a sermon that she'd heard that day. And the one thing I know after the conversation was she listened, right? But she said, let me see if I got this straight, dad. She said, God didn't speak to anybody for 400 years. Yep, that's what it says. And then when he showed up to speak to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, He said, he told John the Baptist, your wife, who can't have babies, who's old and no longer able to bear a child, she's going to have a baby 
next year. She said, let me get this straight. And Zechariah, who hadn't heard from God in over 400 years, said to God, I think you've got the wrong guy. She said, did God really then zip his mouth shut for the next year? She said, because I have a hard time understanding how God wasn't sympathetic with that struggle. Right? Like, would you have wondered if that was possible, Dad? If God had told you that Carmen was going to have a baby after going through menopause and no longer being able to bear a child? Would you have had a question about that? Yes, honey, I would have. She said, then why did God zip his mouth shut? Legitimate question, right? Right? We say it like it's no big deal. Can you imagine God keeping your mouth shut for a year? Right? And yet, the reality is, that was her struggle. So in that moment, my daughter has a massive faith gap. Does she believe that God's a good, good father? I hope so. She's seen it a bunch of times. But she had a real problem with a God who closed the mouth of a guy who simply expressed what she believed was a human emotion. And my guess is, there are lots of you in here and lots of you online that feel the same way about certain things. How does it work in regard to that? Right? How do you learn to deal with that gap? Now I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read some scripture tonight, right? So if you hate being read to, I apologize, okay? If you don't like being read to, just read it out loud to yourself, alright? Here's one thing I believe you love about this church, right? We've, I've asked this before. How many of you believe that the world's getting darker? Yes or no? And how many of you believe that that darkness requires the church to step up and fill that void? Yes or no? And how many of you love being a part of church that constantly fights that darkness? Yes or no? Right? People love that here. I mean, people are generous with their money. They're generous with their time. Listen, when Joe walks out here and says, listen, we need $12,000 to feed starving people in Haiti because the crooks in, in Haiti, right, I've got gas up to $50 a gallon and are, and are robbing people blind. And Joe says, we need $12,000 to feed people. Our church goes, that's a gap I'm going to stand in. Yes or no? Absolutely, right? And we do that every, well, listen, we do that every single week. And the one thing I know about our church is those kind of gaps we love stepping into. If, if, if you could show me where the world needs a, 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 somebody to step in and fight the darkness, we're it, right? Whether it's fighting for right to life, right? Whether it's fighting with our night to shine event to find value for people that the world discounts, right? As no longer having value. If it's going to a third world country, if it's raising money, you know what we do? Every time we are presented with a gap to stand in it, we do it. Amen, church? So we are, right? Now I I gave you a bunch of Ezekiel scriptures, Mike and David. I'd like for you to skip down to Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. Right? I don't want to read that whole thing. Uh, but if you'll read Ezekiel 20, right, God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel and basically says, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for somebody, right? Because the nation of Israel and Judah, they're a, they're a disaster. Right? They're an absolute mess. The, you can read it. I mean, listen, the stuff that's happening, right? The stuff that's happening inside of Judah is, it's beyond atrocious. I mean, he talks about, you know, a brother sleeping with his sister. He talks about a father sleeping with his daughter-in-law. He talks about all the sexual corruption and all the power corruption and all the money corruption. And he says, I'm looking and I'm looking. And in verse 30 of Ezekiel 22, here's what God says to the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I looked for a man among them who would build up this wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. I found none. 
Listen, the one thing that Tomoka, its leadership, and all of you have chosen to do is when God asks for somebody to stand in the gap to fight what's right, we do that as a church. Amen? 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 Yes or no? Right? We love that. That's not the type of gap I'm talking about tonight. Right? We love fighting darkness. We love standing for truth. We love fighting what is wrong in the world. And if you can plug people into that gap, you know what you find? You find people that'll, that'll step into it. You'll find people. Listen, every church that's struggling is struggling because they fail to find the gap that the church can stand in and find purpose. And you're never, ever, ever going to find that an issue at Tomoka Christian Church. Ever. It's never going to be an issue. Right? But this is a different type of gap. Paul writes this in, in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. This is the New Living Translation. Here's what Paul writes. He says, now Timothy has just returned. He's bringing us good news about your faith and about your love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Right? So Paul's been there. He's left. Timothy's gone back. And these people love Paul, want to see him again, dying for that. He says, so we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and our sufferings, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. He says, it gives us new life to know that you're standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you because of you, we've got great joy as we enter into God's presence. He says, night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again and to fill the gaps in your faith. That's what I want to talk about tonight before we end this semester and take our Christmas holiday. I want to talk about gaps in our faith. Because standing in the gap to fight for what's wrong and to stand for what's right, I think collectively and for most of you individually, that's a gap you're willing to stand in. Even for most of our students, they're willing to stand in that gap at their schools and in their relationships, right? They're willing to stand in that gap. We stand for what's truth. We stand for what's right. We have a church committed to standing in the gap, right? Whether it's, whether it's fueling uh, food pantries across 11 schools, right? Or whether it's sending a check to Haiti or whether it's standing up for right to life, whether it's partnering with night to shine, whatever it is, we're willing to stand in the gap. But how many of you, how many of us have gaps in our faith where this is what's expected and this is what we experience and we just don't know what to do with it, right? Somebody asked me this week about, I don't know if they asked me about it, but the subject came up about counseling and marriage counseling. And of course I was, I don't know if I was asked or if I just shared on my own, but I said to people, listen, the key to any relationship, students listen to this. The key to any relationship, success long-term, is how well you handle disappointment. Right? If you want a long-term relationship with a friend, with a parent, with a significant other, a spouse, it's your ability or my ability to handle disappointment. Because here's what I know. None of us struggle in a relationship when everything goes the way we want it to go. Amen? Listen, if you get in a relationship and get everything you need, every emotion met, everything met, is that a hard thing to commit to, yes or no? Oh, if you're getting everything you want, it's simple, man. It's not a problem. But how hard is it to stay committed and productive in a relationship when you don't get what you want? Anybody struggle with that? Yeah. 
We counsel a lot of people there, right? A lot of parents and students have a terrible relationship because they don't know how to handle the disappointment. What do you do when this is what you expect and your student produces this? How do you handle that gap? What do you do when you're dating and you have this expectation of your partner and you get this instead? What do you do when you're married, when your spouse, right? And you have this expectation of this and in reality, this is what you get. You see, the one thing that God's made clear to me over this season of life is, listen, your success in your walk with a relationship, whether it's with a human or whether it's God, is how well you handle the gap created in that disappointment. And it's why we're losing a generation of students, why we're losing a generation of people. Because in that gap, they don't want to fill it correctly. So they're running and they're filling it with drugs and they're filling it with alcohol and they're filling it with social media and they're filling it with all of these other things that just don't work. And the reality is for lots of people, listen, I spend lots of time as a pastor talking to people on an individual basis about just what Paul said, filling their gaps in their faith. And guess what? Lots of people have gaps in their faith because there's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of experience that aren't the same thing. So how do we do it? People leave church all the time. Why'd you leave that church? Well, that church hurt me. You know what they're saying? I had this expectation. This is what I experienced. And now because of that gap, I can't stay here any longer. How many people walk away from God? Because this is what I expected of God. This is what I got from God. And now I'm really struggling and I don't want to be here anymore. Right? Happens all the time. So what do you do? How do you fill that gap to where you can function in a manner that works? Because listen, I don't care what you're doing. If you want to be in a relationship with God and in a relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to fill the gap between what you expect and what you experience sometime. Do you agree with that? Yes or no? Yes or no? Right? It's just true. Anybody ever struggle with that in their faith? Yes or no? Right? Of course we have, if we're being honest. Right? And the key is... Right. The key is to not to not fail or falter or ultimately quit in that gap. So let's talk about this. All right. So here's the first here's the first thing I want to talk about. Fill in the gap with trust. This is a huge thing for me. Massive thing. If you work for me, you hear this a lot. Right. You got to fill the gap with trust. Right. And honestly, it's amazing. I said this. I was counseling a couple, a married couple uh, a few weeks ago, and I and I made mention of this, right? And everybody believes that trust is an important part of a relationship. Yes or no? Right? But most of us believe that trust is what? Starts with an E. Trust is, come on, everybody say earned. Everybody believes trust is earned. How many of you believe that statement, trust is earned? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's a trick question and you refuse to play? Right? Right? We, listen, Somebody betrays your trust. How do they get their, how do they get your trust back? They have to what? And most of us believe that, right? But see, that's not the way trust works, right? So let's read a passage of scripture, Esther chapter four. So if, if you've read the book of Esther, right? So basically here's, here's a, just a real thumbnail sketch. Basically there's a man named Haman who hates the Jews and wants them killed. Right? And so he's, he's gotten the king to issue a decree to basically kill all the Jews. Right? Little does Haman know that the queen, Esther, right, is a Jew. He doesn't know it. It's not public knowledge. But her uncle Mordecai knows she's a Jew. 
and knows that Haman is plotting to kill all the Jews, right, in that nation. And so Esther chapter 4, Mordecai learns of all that's been done, right? He tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, goes into the city, and he's wailing loudly and bitterly. He's heard of the plot to kill all the Jews. He went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter the king's court. In every province to which the edict, which was that all the Jews would be killed on a certain day, and the order of the king came, there was a great mourning among all the Jews. Of course, that makes sense, right? With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes, right? They've been told they're going to die, right? And Haman has manipulated the king, right, to make sure that this takes place. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai and what he was doing, she was in great distress, She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he refused to get dressed. Then Esther summoned this gentleman, Haphak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her. Ordered him to find out what was going on with Mordecai. Why was he in the city, right, at the king's gate wearing sackcloth and ashes and wailing and mourning and refusing to get dressed. Haphak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman, right, had promised to pay into the treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So he bought this edict from the king to have all the Jews wiped out. He gave him a copy of the edict, of the text for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, right, the capital, to show, right, to Esther and explain it to her, a Jew, And he told him, Haphak, to urge Esther to go into the king, right, her husband, his presence, and beg for mercy, right, and to plead with him for her people. Haphak went back, reported this to Esther, what Mordecai had said. Here's what she says. She instructs Haphak to tell her uncle Mordecai this. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, right, who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he or she be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him or her and spare his life. Thirty days have passed, she says, since I was called to go to the king. So Esther's words get told to Mordecai, right? By Haphak, and he sends back this answer. Listen to what he says. Do not think, Esther, that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all the Jews will escape dying. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Now listen to this. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, right? That you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Right? So Mordecai, so Esther's got a problem, right? You can take that down, David. Esther's got a problem, right? Here's the problem. She knows the problem. God's, the king's going to wipe all the Jews out. She's one of them. Her uncle Mordecai is one of them. Her parents are one of them. And the Jews are going to be annihilated. And here's what she knows. She knows that based upon her circumstances, 
There's a gap between what she knows to do and what she is struggling to do because she thinks I can't approach the king because if I approach the king and ask him not to do this, the king's going to what? King's going to kill me, right? There's a gap there for her. How does she fill that gap, right? How does she fill that gap of doubt? Listen, there are things in your lives, students, same for you. There are things in your lives that God has asked you to do, right? And yet you and I can give God legitimate reasons why that seems a hard thing to do, right? For example, you get, you come to church and hear a sermon about giving, right? About tithing. And you're thinking, God, there's no way I can give. This is how much money I make. This is what my bills are. There's no way I'm going to be able to give quote unquote 10% of my money. That's not even possible. So you've got a gap. What's expected and what's experienced, right? God showed up to me and he said, hey, I need you to leave Illinois and I need you to pick up your family. I need you to move to Florida. And you've got a hundred reasons why it's a bad idea, right? We all have those kind of things where God says, hey, I'm going to need you to do this. And you're like, my circumstances, I don't know if they're going to allow me to do that or not. I don't know if it's going to be impossible for me, God, to obey you. Because listen, you don't know my story, God. If you knew what I was actually dealing with, you wouldn't ask me to stop having a, a relationship with my, with my boyfriend or my girlfriend that's not married, right? Because if I marry that person, this thing's going to happen. And I, I can only do this if we're not married. We hear that conversation all the time. Right? Why aren't you married? Well, financially, if we get married, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to gain that. And I can't do that. Happens all the time. Right? And here's what they're saying. I've got a gap in my faith and I don't know how to navigate it. And because I don't know how to fill that gap, I'm not going to do it. And that's exactly what Esther said. And here's what Mordecai told her. How do you know? Listen to this. How do you know, Esther, God didn't bring you right to this moment to make this decision? Right? Because at the end of the day, the only way to fill that gap is to fill it with what? Trust. Who was, who was Esther going to trust? Was she going to trust God? That he was going to take care of her? That he was going to go before her? He was going to fight with her? Or was she going to trust in her own knowledge, right? What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with your what? Everybody say all. Everybody say all. Right? He says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own what? Understanding. Listen, if you want to fill your gap of faith with God, you're going to have to learn how to fill it with trust. Which means you got to give it away. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says. And this is why I believe this is so true. Listen, I do not believe that trust is earned. I believe that trust is given. All you got to do is look at your own personal walk with Jesus Christ and understand that you didn't earn a thing that God's given you. Right? And if God actually kept giving you based upon your performance, most of us would have nothing. Right? And you know what God does every day? He gives you his complete what? He gives you his complete what? Come on, say trust. He gives you your complete what? He does. He gives you his complete trust. Did you earn it? Come on, did you earn it? Of course you didn't. And yet you take it every day, greedily, gladly. Right? And yet we turn around to people and we say, listen, if you want me to trust you, you're going to have to earn my trust. Really? God gives you his trust and you haven't earned a penny of it. And yet you want other people to earn your trust. Listen to what scripture says. It says love is what? Patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. Let's just read like, let's read through those like those aren't any problem for us to do. Right? 
He says it's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, right? All easy stuff for us to do, right? Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Done, God, we got that. Now listen to this. What does love do? It always protects and it always, it always what? Love always what? That means that if you love somebody, you always give them what? Listen, love is not something earned. It's something given. And the reason it's given is because love always trusts. It always believes. Right? Listen, you want to... And listen, I know I'm going to get pushback on this. And I'm totally fine with it. Right? But I want you to really consider this for a second. What does love do? It always what? It always what? It always what? And who does the Bible say we should love? We should love one another. We should love our enemies. Right? So who should we love? We should love everyone. And yet one of the most difficult things for us to do is to fill the gap with trust. Listen, do you believe that God's a good, good father? Yes or no? So when you have a dilemma, right? When you have a dilemma, when God's asking you to do something that you might be struggling with because you've leaned on your own understanding and you think you've got to figure out, you know what love does instead? Love gives God your what? Your trust. Listen, it's going to happen to teenagers because God's going to ask you guys to not do certain things, to behave certain ways. And you're going to give God a legitimate reason in your brain why you think that you don't have to do that. The problem is this, that if you actually give God your trust, you know what you'll do? You'll walk into the king, Esther, and you'll tell him about the plot to kill all the Jews. Because love always what? It always trusts. You want to solve relationship problems? Stop making people earn your trust. Now, don't, listen, don't, don't come at me like, so you mean I'm supposed to let people just take advantage of me? Listen, I'm assuming we're having an adult conversation, all right? I'm assuming that we're going to practice biblical principles. I'm just telling you that if God asks us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love our enemies, right? I'm suggesting to you that love always what? It doesn't say love always has trust earned. It says love always what? That means when you have a gap, you fill it with trust. You fill it with trust. You learn how to step into the gap and give it away. And listen, it takes an awful lot of gall and an awful lot of audacity to take God's infinite trust of you. Do you realize that God's placed his Holy Spirit in every one of us who's a believer? Yes or no? Amen. And have you earned the right to keep God's holy presence in your life because your life has been so sterling in its behavior? Yes or no? Have you earned the right to keep God's holy presence in your life because your performance is so sterling? Yes or no? No. And yet, what does God do? He gives it to you every what? Every day. And you know why he does it? Because love always what? It always trusts. So God can treat you that way. But we aren't expected to treat other people that way. I just think we've gotten it backwards. I think if you want to learn how to fill gaps, you fill it with trust. And here's a second one real quick. I know the alarm went off and we're going to sing a couple more songs. We also got to fill the gap with love, right? Fill the gap with love. Let me read this passage to you in Luke 16. A rich man dressed in purple, fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a beggar named Lazarus covered in sores, right? That beggar longed to eat what fell from that rich man's table. Even the dogs came and they licked his sores, okay? The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him into Abraham's side or to paradise. And the rich man died and was buried. Right? 
in hell or Hades, the place of death, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham in paradise far away with Lazarus, right, the beggar by his side. So he called to him, the rich man, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus, the beggar, to dip the tip of his finger in water, right, and cool my tongue because I'm in agony from this fire, right? There's no, there's no mention that this is a parable, right? There's no reason for you and I to assume this is not true. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you a parable or tell you a story. There's no reason in the context of this to think this is anything but Jesus teaching a truth, right? And he says, Abraham replies, son, to the rich man, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, listen to this, between you and us, there is a great chasm, a great gap that's been fixed, he says. So that those who want to go from here, right, hell to paradise, they can't do it. He said, nor can anyone cross over from paradise to hell. No one can make that crossover either. He says, he goes on. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, right? For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. Here's what Abraham says. They've got Moses, the prophets, let them listen to them, right? No father, Abraham, he said. Listen, I love it, right? This guy's in hell and he's rebuking Abraham, right? That's a bad plan, he says. But someone who goes from my place and tells them they're going to repent. God, if you'll just send somebody from hell to tell them about hell, they'll never want to be in hell. And he says this. If they won't listen to my word through Moses and the prophets, he said, listen to this. They won't even be convinced if someone rises from the dead. So here's what I want you to know. There was, there's a gap. Right? There's a gap between heaven and hell. And here's the thing about that gap. It's permanently fixed to once you're in heaven or once you're in hell, there's no more decision to be made. Everybody got that? Yes or no? That means every person, every person, parents, your children, right? Students, your parents, your friends, right? All of us need to know this. Every person will spend an eternity in one of those two places with a gap that cannot be crossed once death is obtained. Everybody on board with that? Here's what he says. That decision about where you'll spend eternity is going to be made, is going to be made before you reach death. And here's what he says. Everybody can make the, make the right decision before the moment of death because they have my word. And you know what the other thing they have is they have the opportunity for people to fill gaps with love. You know what the rich man could have done with his riches when he saw the beggar at the gate? You know what he could have done? He could have what? He could have fed him. He got to take care of him, right? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He says this, the son of man's going to come and all of his angels are coming with him and he's going to sit on his throne in heavenly glory. He says, and all the nations, all the people are going to be gathered before him. He's going to separate people from each other as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He not put sheep. He's going to put sheep on his right, goats on his left. The king's going to say to those on his right, the sheep come you're blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. He says, the kingdom has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. Here's what he says. This is why you get to go in. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. He says, I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Righteous. The sheep are going to say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? He said, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And listen to what Jesus says. The king's going to reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the, of these brothers of mine, he said, you did it for who? And for me. There's a lot of times you and I just don't know what to do with our faith. Right? There's a gap between, yes, I know people are going to go to hell without Jesus, but I don't know what to do to hell. Let me tell you something. Always fill the gap with love. And you know what love is? It's patient and it's kind. Right? It doesn't seek its own, but it seeks others. It doesn't keep track of wrongs. If you want to fill the gap and help people not have to struggle with bridging the gap between what was right or between heaven and hell, do the right thing and fill that gap with love. My dad died a non-believer, defiant against Jesus. And the sad part was he had two sons that were in the ministry and he had a brother-in-law that was in the ministry and he had a wife who was a believer. And you know how we spent our time trying to convince my dad to become a Christian? We argued with him. Because he was a wordy guy. So we argued with him. You know what we didn't do? We didn't love him. We didn't love him. We took the gap. We took the gap that we knew existed. We knew that people were going to go to heaven or hell. We knew that that was the case for my father. And instead of just filling the gap with love, we filled it with arguing. Because we were convinced we were right. We were convinced he was wrong. And we felt the only way to bridge that gap was convince him intellectually by our own argument that he was wrong. And you know what we should have done? We should have loved him. There's a lot of you that just don't know what to do. What do I do with my student? Right? What do I do with my friend? What do I do with my spouse? What do I do with this person? You know what you do? If you ever wonder what you do, you fill the gap with what? Fill with love. Because that's how righteous and unrighteous people are separated. Right? You want to be righteous? Quit worrying about being right. And start doing the right thing. And the right thing is always to love people. It's always to fill the gap with love. Whatever that looks like for you, fill that gap with love. You wonder how to do it with your student? Parent, fill it with love. Right? Listen, don't don't give me righteous indignation. Right? Righteous indignation is spared for those people that make it hard for you to come to Jesus. That's what the righteous indignation of Jesus was for. Right? It was for people who said, you can't get to God. It isn't for people that messed up. Righteous indignation comes to people that get in the way of the gospel. A child who's messing up isn't in the way of the gospel. They're just messing up. Same thing for spouses. Right? Same thing for people who go to church. You want to know how to fill a gap with people? Always choose Love. That's why Paul says, O man, no any, owe no man anything except the unending debt of love. And here's the last thing, real quick. You gotta fill the gap with Jesus. You gotta fill the gap with Jesus. Acts 4. Peter and John, Jesus have been crucified. The Jewish leaders wipe their forehead and they're like, thank God this guy's gone. Now our way of life is preserved. Because you realize a Jewish leader was rich and powerful. The only way to get to God was to go through them was to go through their process, was to buy their sacrifices and to honor God. They controlled everything, right? They killed Jesus. They think the problem's solved. 50 days after Jesus' death, we've got a bunch of crazy people 
who we thought would shut up and go away. We've got them back in the streets of Jerusalem now preaching about Jesus. And by the time we get to Acts 4, they've healed a lame man in the middle of the streets. And now people are flocking to, to the gospel. Here's what happened. The priest and the captain of the temple guard, right? The Sadducees, all these religious leaders came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, right? And they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, put them in jail until the next morning. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men who grew were about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders of the elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest there, Caiaphas was there, John was there, Alexander was there, other men of the high priest family. And here's the question they want to know. They had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. And here's their question. By what power or what name did you do this? So you healed the guy who was lame in front of everybody. We want to know, bring that verse back up. We want to know, right, where your power came from and under whose name or authority have you done that? We want to know how you healed a man. Everybody clear on the question? Here's what they say. Peter, filled with, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, remember, you don't know what to do, always fill it with love. Because love is patient and love is kind, right? For an act of kindness shown to a cripple, right? And are asked how he was healed, right? Then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of who? It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Right? Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone which you rejected, right, has become the capstone. Don't bring that next verse back up. Nope, nope. All right. Listen, this guy's broken. He's lame. He can't walk, right? And what happens? Peter and John come along, and the Bible says they heal this man of his brokenness. And the, the Jewish people want to know, how do you do this? Right? By what authority do you heal this broken man? And here's what Peter and John say. They say the reason that we can heal this man is because of Jesus, Jesus whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the what? Dead. Listen, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 12. He says, if you want to plunder the strong man's house, if you want to go into a strong man's house and steal his stuff, you've got to tie the strong man up. Everybody know that story? Yes or no? Right? Makes sense to you, right? If I need to come into your house and steal your stuff, the first thing I need to do is what? I need to tie you up. Right? That's how it works. Here's what happened. Jesus walked into the strong man's house, Satan, and Satan had all the authority over all of us because all of us were going to die. And Jesus walked into his area. He walked into the bully's area. He punched the bully in the mouth. He bound the bully and took all of his power away. And now because of Jesus's resurrection, he took Satan's power and he negated it by going, that's a piece of cake for me to overcome. So now in the name of Jesus, I can bind that strong man in your life. I can provide you. Listen to Acts 4.12. It says this, it says salvation. Everybody say the word salvation. Right? The Greek word is sozo. It's a, it's, I hate the interpretation in the, in the English. The word means to rescue or to restore. Here's what he said. You want to be whole? You want to be whole? You want to be complete? You don't want to be lame? You don't want to be broken anymore? He said rescue and restoration is found in no one else, he says. For there is no other what? Name under heaven given to men by which you can be 
restored, by which you can be rescued. You know, while ultimately how you help people in your gaps, you get them to Jesus. Because there's nobody else that's going to fix your teenager. There's nobody else that's going to fix your marriage. There's nobody else that's going to take lameness and make it whole. There's nobody else that can take blindness and make it see. There's nobody else that can take deafness and make it hear. There's nobody else that can take a broken individual and restore it except for who? Except for Jesus. It won't happen at church. Church isn't fixing anybody, right? Having a great relationship or a great job or a great college degree from the right place ain't fixing anybody, right? Going to Hollywood and being famous ain't fixing anybody. Having 14 million likes on Instagram or Twitter or whatever the social media is, isn't fixing anybody. We know all of this. You want to know how we ultimately fill the gap? We get people to who? We get people to Jesus because you know what Jesus did? He bound the strong man and he beat him up. And now there's nobody else. There's nobody else. Say it with me. There's nobody else. Say it with me. There's nobody else. Nobody else that your kids can run to, your grandkids can run to, that you can run to, that's going to fix your problems. The right school won't do it. The right person won't do it. The right social media post won't do it. Listen, the right church won't do it. The only person that can do it is Jesus. And for ultimately, for some of us, right? For some of us, it's all we have. Because I don't know about you, but it's the only thing I'm counting on in my life is that Jesus actually does restore and he has rescued, right? And he has made whole. And it's the only thing I care about my kids doing. They're smart enough to pick their own schools. They're smart enough to pick their own careers. They don't need me for that, but you know what they need? They need to know Jesus. Because no matter how successful they are in this world, no matter how much money they put in the bank, no matter what their degree is, no matter how successful they are, you know what they are? They're broken and they're blind and they're pitiful. And without Jesus, they're lost for eternity, right? What they need is they need Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father Jesus, thank you for this uh, opportunity to spend some time together. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to fill our gaps well. Whether it's on an interpersonal relationship or whether it's with you. That ultimately, Lord, we would just, that we would ultimately just trust in you. And what we don't know what to do is that we'll love when we don't know what to put in the gap. But ultimately, Father, that what we'll do is we'll fill our gap with Jesus and we'll help other people do the same thing. And so, Father, I'm grateful that in our gap, Jesus came in and beat the bully. That he plundered the strong man's house so that we could be rescued. So that we are a rescue center. Our rescue is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So, Father, continue to build in us the desire to fill the gap right and to help others do it as well. In Jesus' name, amen.